appreciate that. Trusting the shepherd. He is our shepherd. He is our guide. Thinking of when Levon shared what he did, I read stories back when the Indians and the white men started, the missionaries started reaching out to them, and they've got diseases within their group. You know, who is the blame? And there's families that have lost their lives over that because of that. So we do trust our shepherd, not only here in our lives, but we trust him in, in dangerous situations also. Out of respect for, for you all, I'll go to the back after the message, but I'll refrain from the holy kiss. And if you desire not to shake my hands, I won't be offended. So if you stick out your hand, I'll shake it. If you don't, I'll say, glad to have you here, and so on. <laughs> so just remember that. We, I, that was my choice not to greet with a holy kiss. But I will shake your hands if you desire. And if you don't, that's fine. Recently, I was going through Second Peter, and I was really blessed by the first several verses in Peter, so I thought I would look at that today. If you see a pattern here in Peter as we go through it, Peter wrote this because there was persecution among the churches, but then there was also some false teaching, and one of the false teachings that was presented by those were that since salvation was by grace alone, the requirements of the moral law were irrelevant. So in other words, we're saved by grace and that's all. We don't have to follow the laws of God. And Peter brings this out that we are saved. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But then there is a requirement that goes with that. And I want to bring that out. First Peter chapter 1, 16 times Peter writes in the book of, in this book, about having knowledge of God, to know God. And that's the encouragement that I want to leave with you this morning is to know God, to know God with your heart and not just to, yeah, I know there is a God, well, the devils also believe there is a God. But to know God with your heart. So I want to read the first 11 verses of chapter 1 of Second Peter. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith, <clears throat> with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life, godliness, and through the knowledge of him that hath called you, called us to glory and virtue. I might have read that in a, might have missed some periods or commas there. According, I want to reread it. According as his divine power hath given unto us 
all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceedingly exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fail. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter's bringing out the idea of really who we are in Christ. And I don't know if you really understand who you are in Christ. He says that we have obtained like precious faith. So in other words, he's saying that, and we all understand that, you know, the Gentiles and the Jews were separate in the Old Testament where God chose the Jews as his people and he was willing to bless them and be their God, care for them, conquer their battles, and he was willing to do all that as long as they followed him and worshipped him as their God. And, you know, there was a time where the many times where the Jewish people served other idols and God would destroy them or put them in bondage or so on. But they were still his chosen people. But the Gentiles were a different group. You know, they were the people of the land that, you know, it seemed like God just didn't bless them. I mean, there were, there were groups that they would prosper and, and so on. But for the most part, they didn't have this promise that God had given to the Jews. You know, when, when the Gentiles, when they did things, they did things on their own. They didn't have God behind them. Uh, blessing them and conquering their battles and doing the things that he did with the Jews. We are in that category. We were in that category. And Peter's saying now that we have the like precious faith. In other words, we have the same blessings that the Jews had in, in the past. You know, there, we have no special privileges, but we are part of the family of God. 
we have been given that honor of receiving this faith as equal with the Jews. And I was think of us as foreigners, you know, thinking of those that come like Wawa, for one, you know, came from Haiti, came in, he became part of America, and, you know, so he has the same privileges that we have. You know, he can, he can get a passport, he can travel, and he doesn't have to go through all the things that, that you would normally do in going to a different country. But we have the same privileges, and I think Peter's bringing out that. We have the same privileges that the Jews have. We have no special anointing where we think, well, we no longer have to follow God because we're saved under grace. That's false. But we all understand that we have been adopted into the family of God. And adoption, again, brings the idea that I was a lost human being here and I was just serving, living my life. And that I was adopted into the family of God. He also brings out of being grafted into the, to the vine. So here I was, a Gentile, dead limb, branch, and he took me and he grafted me into the vine, into the where I draw my strength and everything in, in Christ. So Peter was trying to bring that to the people that it was through the righteousness of God that we have this privilege. And, you know, we, we can't really in our human minds explain the righteousness of God. But God saw that it was right to do that for us to bring us and to engraft us into his family. And then he says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. This grace is giving is God giving us the desire to turn to him. So in other words, he gave in me a desire to know him, to come to him. And how he does that, you know, is is all different different people. You know, he gave me that desire is because I seen people who were saved and I realized my life was not I wasn't happy in it and so on. But he gave me and he has given all of us the desire to worship him, to turn to him. And he also says, I give you grace and I give you peace. The peace is that tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. Trusting the shepherd again. I have no fear of, of the future. I have no fear of this virus. I have no fear of, of going into a, another country and being threatened. Because I know I'm in Christ. I know I'm saved. And I know that that, yeah, that everything has been taken care of. So he gives, gives us this grace, and he gives us this peace, and it says that it is multiplied. So it's not just grace and peace, but it's, that is multiplied in your life. And as you go through life, he, at times he gives you more grace, and at times he gives you more peace. But it's something that 
he just doesn't give it to you, but it multiplies in your life. And you'll see, kind of know what I'm talking about here in a little bit. So as we know God, and this is through, we get this through the knowledge of God. So if I don't know this God, and I don't see him as this God that I could trust in, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to, my grace and peace isn't going to be very secure. I'm going to, it's not going to grow and it's not going to be multiplied in my lives because I'm not willing to allow that to be part of me. You know, when we start worrying and we start th- uh, fretting about things and we're scared of stuff and and so on. But this knowing God is a personal knowing God. It's not just a knowledge of him, but it's personally knowing him. And I think that comes through um, as we trust him, we become more, we're more aware of who he is and we start seeing the power of God, which is a Next thing is, is according to his divine power. Is there anything limited by God? Is any is God limited in anything? Is there anything he can't do? And we would say, well, yeah. I mean, we would believe that. There is nothing. We've, we know that there's uh, uh, powers above us that are... You know, we we don't wrestle with our flesh and blood, but we wrestle with principalities and powers. But we know that God is more powerful than those than Satan is, and any false false uh, prophet and so on. But and God is more powerful than that. But He's the divine power. He's the ultimate power. So when we look at God and see the power of God in parting the Red Sea and the three Hebrew children going into the fire and, and not be burnt, we see God healing the sick and we've seen um, God raise Christ from the dead. Then we look at, look at what is in my life and we say, well, God... You can't help me. So according to his divine power hath given unto us, so he has that divine power, has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So what does, what gives us life? Um, I'm just going to read a uh, turn on. Um, Jesus was talking here in his prayer, John 17, verse 3. It says, and this is eternal life. So this is, this is life. This is eternal life. That thou might know thee, the only true God, Jesus, and Jesus Christ, whom he, thou hast sent. So if you want things that pertain to life, you have to gain in your knowledge of God and who he is. 
So what are these many promises that God has given to us? He says, all things that pertain to life and God in us through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory, whereby are given us exceedingly and great and precious promises. What are those promises? And he has given us so many, I, I didn't even know where to start. You're talking about, you know, you talk about the promises of my sins being gone as far as east from the, rat, the west, never to be remembered. And you think about the gift of the Holy Spirit coming within us to comfort us, to guide us to the truth. And you think about the future of being with God in heaven forever and ever. And those are precious promises, but there's so many more promises that he's given to us as Christians. So Peter's addressing that, and I think there's a reason for that. He has called us to glory and virtue. I know, I didn't finish my thought there on the precious promises, says that by these, by these promises that God has given to us, that we have the blood of Christ cleansing us from all our sins, that we might be partakers of his divine nature. So in other words, we become part of God. I don't know what you think. So you're part of God's family. Whoopie-doo. Do you understand the divine nature of God? Being partakers of him. The one that we were just talking about that has all the power of heavens. The one who's taken us out of the, the depths of sin... And, in, and grafted us into the, the vine. We ought to be saying glory, hallelujah. So does it stop there? It says then, through them, it's through these promises and through being part of the divine nature, we can escape the corruption in the world which is through cravings and longings of that which is forbidden or lust instead of his divine nature. And all of us are desiring to be able to leave this behind, this corrupt world. But do you realize that in your Christian life today, you can do that now? So how do we do that? I want to go to Ephesians chapter 1 and read a few verses, 18 to 23. Ephesians 1, 18 to 23. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in, in the saints. 
And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities, powers, and might, and dominions, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, gave him to be the head over all things to his body, which is the body of the fullness of him that filleth it all. That's the God that we serve. Now after all these, what we've been talking about, having the grace and the peace given to us from God, and I think this is going to why Peter wrote it, what does then he want from us? I mean, is that all we need? And we like to think so, that all we need is to know God. And But I think he wants us, and Peter addresses it here, he wants to build, us to build on that relationship with him. It doesn't just stop at salvation. It doesn't just stop to understand who we are in Christ. But what are we doing about ourselves? Is anything in our life changing? Does it automatic, automatically come, do we come to the knowledge of God? Or is it something that we have to work in our lives? I think he wants us to intentionally work at adding to our faith. Trusting the Lord, or trusting in Christ, is the foundation of our faith. Having put our trust in him is the foundation. Now we need to build on that foundation, and he brings us how to do that. It's not good enough just to have faith. Faith without works is dead. Um, Hebrews 11.6 says, but without faith... It is impossible to please God. So faith is in itself we need to have. But he says, I want you to build on that. Build on faith and virtue. Virtue is the excellence and goodness that comes from our lives as we follow Christ and obey the word. So we have faith and we have virtue. The good works. Doing good. Being excellent. Living that godly life that we are asked to live, to be like Christ. So after we have believed, have a believing faith in God, and we have a virtuous character, now we need to build. And and then he goes on talking about that. Uh, build on virtue. Okay. It says, give all diligence, so give it all you got. It's not just a, a something you just, oh, I'm going to do this today. But it's something you have to work for. Something that you have to really put an effort into. Add to the faith and virtue, add to it knowledge. And I think this knowledge is talking about seeing things in life from a world, from a Christian view. You know, when you go to school, you know, sometimes we 
we get fed with things that that aren't totally accurate. Well, if you have, if you're building on your faith, you're going to come to them those moments in life where you're going to say, well, no, you know, God is in control. And then we're going to start seeing, seeing that through science. It says we are to learn temperance, which is self-control, is having our passions under control and in doing that, we quickly obey um, God's promptings and God's uh, obe- obedience to his word. And then, then we have patience. We add patience to that. And see a progression. We have faith, virtue, and then we have knowledge. So knowledge is added to that, and our faith is increased. And when we get knowledge, then we have temperance. Faith is increased. And as we get all these that we're talking about, you know, our faith is, is to the top. So it's not a, something you just add to it, but it's something that goes up. And our faith is going to be increased as we add these things to our faith. <clears throat> Patience. This is a cheerful endurance of the face of difficulties. It accepts difficult situations from God without giving him a deadline to remove them. So it's having patience. You had a bad week. I have patience that God is going to, everything will work together for good. And then we add godliness. And that's holiness. We, with holiness, we reverence God. So it's the... Seeing God of who he is, and we learn the godliness. We learn to reverence our God who we are serving. And then he says we are to add brotherly kindness. This is where we have done, where we have love and concern for others. You know, and I can see a kind of a progression here that we, we learn all these things. And now brotherly kindness and charity is kind of a result of all these things. Is we have love one for another. We have concern for others. Charity is the last one that Peter mentions. And I, that's love with affection. It's not just, yeah, I love you. But it's you have a, a real heart, a real affection for each other. And then verse 8, this list of characteristics is the evidence of a growing relationship of God. So, are you growing? Have you been adding to your faith to increase your faith? He says, if you do these things, ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. You're going to understand who God is. Your relationship is going to increase. But if you don't, as it says in verse 9, that you will forget who you really are. You'll forget that you have been saved by grace. You'll forget that of what of who God is 
And I can see this person kind of be illustrated as part of the one who falls away. A person who is living these traits, as we see in verse 10, if you give diligent to make your calling and election sure, if you do these things, you shall never fail. Or you could say you'll never be tripped up. You'll never fall back. You know, and I think sometimes we have this fear. You know, what if I get led astray? You know, maybe maybe us as a church can have that same concern of, of losing our people. But I think if we as human beings, if we can work it with our faith and as together as a church we can encourage each other to continue that growth, I don't think we need to worry about falling from the grace of God. <clears throat> Goes back to verse 4. If we have escaped the lust of the world by the promises of God, and we live, live out these promises, we will never fail. And then the last verse. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into what? Everlasting life. So it's these people who are building on their faith are the ones that will enter in to everlasting life with Christ. That's the life that that God is, has given us. And, and he's given us everything that we need to get there. But we have to come to the knowledge of who God is, and then we need to build on that and continue to build until we understand that my sinful nature is no longer prevalent, but it's my new nature that's alive and well. <clears throat>